Now, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts, and our reading today is Acts 14, 8 to 22. So um, let's just go through this now. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd uh, wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So this story of um, Paul and Barnabas and Lystra is of great relevance to us today because this is the first time that they shared the good news of Jesus with people who had a completely different worldview. No familiarity uh, with the story of God's dealings with Israel. They weren't familiar with the Bible they, they didn't know about sin or forgiveness of sin or anything like that. They had no, um, no background. And it's very interesting to, to see how Paul um, communicates the good news of Christ with them. And it's the same today. I was, I was shocked um, the other day. I met uh, a, a Kiwi, who was a, a Kiwi lady who was about... Um, I'd say about late 60s, I would say. And I talked about communion. And she said, what's communion? And I was, I was amazed. I was flabbergasted. Um, in fact, I was so shocked that I completely missed the opportunity to tell her what communion was, apart from a bit of wine and bread. Um, so um, that was a, a lesson to me. Um, but I, I was so taken aback that someone in our own culture who had been and what I thought was a Christian culture for so long had no idea of what communion was or what it meant. So we're in a similar time, a similar territory, I think. And that's an opportunity as much as anything. But let's just recap where we are uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, We've seen that the people of Israel were specially chosen by God to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's in Exodus 19. And even though they proudly proclaimed, we will do everything the Lord has said, they failed dismally. 
and what they were called to be. And somehow, in spite of this failure, they had developed a superiority complex. They thought they were better than the other nations that surrounded them because they were descendants of Abraham. And so when Jesus was revealed as Lord and Saviour, they thought Jesus was just for them. And remember when the Spirit of God came down at Pentecost, that that great day, um, all those who experienced that incredible event were Jews. From all over the world, admittedly, but they were all Jews. So remember it was a bit of a shock when they found out that Jesus was for Samaritans, the hated half-Jews. And then Jesus was also for the Ethiopian eunuch. But at least he was a Gentile who followed um, the Jewish way. So perhaps we could stretch the blanket a bit to include him. And then Paul, the the hardline Jew who who, um, imprisoned and killed members of the early church, came to the Lord. So Jesus was for him as well. And then Cornelius... One of the Roman um, conquerors, occupiers, the gospel was for him. Jesus was for him as well. But at least he was a God-fearer and familiar with the Jewish scriptures. And now we come to possibly the final and greatest shock for the early Jews when Paul and Barnabas flee to Lystra and preach the gospel to pagans. What's a pagan? A pagan is a, a people who believed and the many gods of the Greek pantheon. So the good news of Jesus is even for people who have no clue about who God is, who are not descendants of Abraham, who have no understanding of sin or holiness, sacrificial shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. Jesus is for everyone. And as Mickey said, it's easy to take that for granted. Um, But it's important to remind ourselves that the message of Christ is for everyone that we encounter, everyone that we meet, no matter where they come from or who they are. So anyone can become a child of God and receive the Holy Spirit because of uh, believing in Jesus. So now we're in our our new home here uh, in Widiora, and we're preparing to reach out to the people here. I think we can learn a lot about how to share Jesus with those who possibly have very little uh, or no prior knowledge of Jesus and what he has done for them uh, from how Paul interacted with the people of Lystra. So who were these people and what did they believe? I did a bit of Googling and uh, Lystra is a city or was a city in central Anatolia which is now part of uh, present-day Turkey. Uh, It's very ancient. Uh, Evidently there's uh, evidence of human habitation that goes back 5,000 years. And it's been controlled by many empires over the years, such as the Assyrians, the Hittites, the Scythians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And that's just up to the the time of where Paul was. And the Greeks had ruled them for centuries, and they had adopted the Greek mythology as their uh, belief system, their religion, with its pantheon of gods. So heaps of gods. And we can see this when they're called... um, Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, after they healed the lame man in the story. Now, Zeus uh, was the king of all the Greek gods, and Hermes was the messenger of the gods. Hermes was also the ancient Greek god of trade, wealth, luck, fertility, animal husbandry, 
sleep language thieves. That's an interesting one. So even the thieves <laughs> had a God that they could pray to and ask favors from. It's different. And travel. And uh, so Zeus and Hermes were two of the many Greek gods and goddesses. And the people of Lystra believed that these immortal beings controlled everything in their lives and in the environment. And there was a God for every aspect of their lives. And it was important to please the gods, uh, happy gods, that's good, they helped you. And unhappy gods punished you, that's not good. And how can you keep the gods happy? Well, you made sacrifices to them. The Greeks sacrificed to the gods for three reasons, to honour them, to thank them, and to request a favour. And that they sacrificed sheep, uh, goats, pigs, cattle, all sorts of animals were offered to the gods. <clears throat> and how did you know which god to sacrifice to if there's so many? Well, it turns out um, you targeted the one, uh, the god of whatever sphere that you wanted a favour. So um, if you were travelling, then you sacrificed to the god of travel. And, and hopefully you had a good trip. And if not, well, bad news, mate. Your sacrifice was not good enough. And if you wanted your business to prosper, you sacrificed to the god of commerce. And if you wanted a hot wife, you sacrificed to uh, the goddess of love and beauty. So, if, if your life was, worked out well, um, then your sacrifice must have worked. And if nothing good happened or it went, turned to custard, then your sacrifice was unworthy and the gods were angry with you. And you imagine living under that set of beliefs. It, it must have been really tough. It must have been really anxiety-producing because even the, according in, in the Greek pantheon, the, the gods were in conflict with one another. So if you sacrifice to this one, you might annoy that one. And he might punish you. Oh, that's no good. And so you're constantly offering up <clears throat> sacrifices here, there and everywhere. <clears throat> so, quite an anxious existence. But I don't think their belief system is so different to what we've got today. I mean, everyone treasures something in their hearts. Everyone has a telos, a vision of flourishing, an image of the good life that we are giving ourselves to and sacrificing for to achieve. Every one of us is living for something. Everybody is sacrificing to something. And whatever you sacrifice to is your master. And the Bible says we're created to worship. And that's what that involves. And so in, in our society, um, the God of many people is money. Right? Everyone believes if they just had enough money, they'd be happy. And um, life would be good and awesome and they'd have no problems. So they slave away to make more, more money. And they often ignore other riches in their lives. Oh, whoops. Lost it. Lost it. I have to go back. Here we go. Maybe I'll just put that down. <clears throat> so people whose God is money think that they own money, but really money owns them, doesn't it? Now, having little financial pressure in your life is definitely a blessing. 
But the reality is that money is a bad choice of God to worship. Because the more you have, the more you have to lose. And it's amazing <clears throat> when we went to Africa, the people there had so little and yet they seemed so happy. It was, it's bizarre. <clears throat> All the kids were running around smiling and they were dressed in virtually nothing. And also many of those who have striven to achieve their dreams of wealth and fame have found once they achieved their goals, it didn't satisfy it anyway. Jim Carrey, uh, I really like his movie The Mask, by the way. That's a very cool movie. One of my favorite. I watched it again the other night. Very cool. Um, he's worth about 180 million US, and, and this is what he said. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. <clears throat> Now, he's a comedian, so I guess he's trying to be funny here, but there's a kernel of truth in what he's saying, isn't there? There's obviously a a disappointment. He's achieved everything that he wants, and it's not the answer. He's still looking. And if uh, if 180 million US can't buy you happiness, then nothing can, I don't reckon. 200 million is not going to make any difference, is it? The same can be said of worshipping the God of achievement. Another hard taskmaster. You always have to be achieving, don't you? If you're not achieving, you're wasting time, mate. You're not being productive. You can never relax and just enjoy the moment because you're not producing something. What about the God of acclamation of other people? It's amazing how... It's easy to get the pip if you put up a Facebook post and you only get a few likes, isn't it? And you look at someone else and they've got 1,500 likes on their post. And you go, that's it. That's sensitivity to the acclamation of other people. My life would be better if more people liked my posts. That's nuts, isn't it? And there's a whole lot of studies coming out now just how bad social media is for us. That's really interesting. But I have to say it's something I'm susceptible to. I like to please other people, and when other people aren't pleased with me, I, I get offended, I get the pit bill. Yeah. And I, you know, when I got married, I thought I would make my wife happy all the time. And it's not true. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but it's not true. <laughs> it was very disappointing the first time my wife had a crack at me about something. It's like, it's. Yeah. So in the light of all these false gods that we worship, is it any wonder, any wonder that so many of us struggle with anxiety and worry? We're worshipping the wrong God. Our hearts are inclined in the wrong direction. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a big process to engage with your heart and with the Lord's help, turn it towards him. That's where freedom from anxiety and worry come in. So in the light of these thoughts, it's really interesting to see how Paul shares the good news of Jesus with the people of Lystra. So in previous presentations, Paul has talked about the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the failure of the people of Israel to to meet God's requirements, all this stuff about sin and repentance. But it's interesting, if we have a look at what Paul said, repentance is in here. But it's not pronounced. 
So Paul says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn, right? That's what repentance is, it's a turning. Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. No mention of the Old Testament. No mention of sin. Or there is repentance implied. <clears throat> but So it's interesting, isn't it, how Paul communicates the message with the people of Lystra. But let's start at the beginning. <clears throat> Why did the people of Lystra <clears throat> believe that Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes and want to sacrifice to them? Well, it turns out that a guy called Ovid, he's a Latin poet, wrote an epic called Metamorphosis about 50 years before uh, Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra. And one of the poems in his huge work, which comprised about 12,000 lines, described a story of how Zeus and Hermes took on human form and they went to a city called Phrygia, which is not too far from Lystra. And they asked in a thousand homes in the city for lodging and shelter. They were rebuffed, they were turned away again and again and again until they came to a little unassuming cottage of an elderly couple. And they, this... this um, poor elderly couple fed them and gave them shelter even though they were much poorer than their neighbours and then <clears throat> turns out that Zeus and Hermes told this elderly couple to flee because <clears throat> they were going to wipe out the city of Phrygia in a flood so that was their punishment for being turned away um, so that's why the people of Lystra were so quick to identify Paul and Barnabas is Hermes and Zeus after the miraculous raising of this lame man. No one wanted to offend the gods and to be wiped out for a start. And also, remember one of the points of sacrifices was to get favours. So they wanted more favours from Paul and Barnabas. If we sacrifice to them, maybe they'll heal more people. Maybe they'll, um, our crops will flourish and all this kind of stuff. If it's true that, that these two are actually gods in human form. But Paul makes it clear that he and Barnabas are just like them, just human. And then he says he's bringing them good news. And I'm not sure if I would have been bold enough to say, hey, the gods that you're worshipping are worthless. <clears throat> I don't think that would go down so well if we, if we talked to someone in that, in that language today. But Paul's pretty direct. And he went, he cut straight to the chase. (laughs) Telling you to turn from these worthless things. He didn't even call them gods. He just called them worthless things. Now saying, by saying the living God, turn to that living God, what was Paul saying about the pantheon of Greek gods? It's not there. There's only one God. There's not many. definition of the living God means he's only one. And more than this, uh, Paul <clears throat> points out how gracious the one true God is 
because he showers blessings on those who don't even acknowledge him or know him. Showing kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. New Zealand is a beautiful country to live in, isn't it? We are so blessed to live here. And we take it for granted. That's why it's good to travel to a third world country every now and again. Because you remember just what a disaster some other countries are. And you come back and you have a new appreciation for what we have here. I'll never, I'll never forget after I came back from Africa. Or going to Africa. Going through Huntley and thinking, look at these dumpy houses. They're terrible. And then came back from Africa, driving through Huntley again. Look at these palaces. Incredible. After you've seen a guy in, uh, living in the River Valley in a mud hut, the, even, the, even the most run-down house in New Zealand looks like a palace. It's got running water. It's got power. It's got a toilet. It's amazing. That, that's what happens. But we so often take what we've got for granted. The healing of the lame man was a natural extension of this graciousness, was it? Had they offered any sacrifices at that point? No. God healed this lame man without them doing anything. They were just sitting there listening. That's such a human response, isn't it? Oh, something good's happened. Let's go and try and earn something more. That's what we tend to do. We try to turn unmerited favour, which is grace, into merited favour, which is works, or the law, or legalism. Undeserved favour into deserved favour. But God lives in the realm of grace. He lives in the realm of undeserved favour. They already had the miracle without sacrifice. But they immediately, as soon as they got the uh, the miracle, they tried to earn some more. That's so like us. There's something in us that doesn't want to accept undeserved favour. It's that word undeserved. It kind of niggles us and needles us. We want to think of ourselves as good people that deserve good things. The huge downside of this toxic idea is that when something bad happens, it means I must have done something wrong. God must be punishing me. Two sides of the same coin. The Bible is abundantly clear that God will only punish us for one sin, and that's rejecting His grace and love. So, when something happens, that something goes wrong in our lives, it's not God punishing us. It's just this world. And don't let something bad tar your image of God. Okay, it's so easy to allow it to happen. But God, the message of the gospel is God loves us. God is for us. God tries. <clears throat> yep, he allows us to be tested. But even that is an expression of his love. <clears throat> he wants us to live in his grace, being confident of his love for us. Where are you living? <clears throat> so coming back to Paul and how he dealt with the people of Lystra. I think there's three things to learn about how to share the gospel in a pluralistic society like we have now. The first is that sharing the gospel involves words and deeds. 
So Paul had shared the good news with the people of Lystra, but he lived out his message of grace when he healed the lame man. So words and deeds going together. He was following the example of Jesus. Oops. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The message is that God loves us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an action. A word and a deed going together. <clears throat> Deeds give credence to words, don't they? Walking the talk, as they say. Deeds take words and make them real. Now, it's easy to think that the, the deed in the scripture in, in Acts today was a miracle, a huge miracle. A lame man walked again. We don't seem to see God doing much of that, of that stuff anymore. So what can we do? In response to that question, a few of us here have seen miracles of healing. And I do hope and pray for more miracles as we invite the Holy Spirit to be uh, expressed in his presence in our midst more and more. But a deed that makes words real doesn't have to be a miracle of healing, does it? Any deed that is sacrificial and seeks only to bless someone else will make words real. And that's why I'm so keen to host this Cap Money course. I want people to see God's heart of love for them, towards them, through us as we seek to help them to be free of financial hardship. So that's the first thing. Sharing the gospel involves words and deeds. The second thing is that Paul was familiar with the beliefs of the people of Lystra. He knew enough of their beliefs to say that the gods they worship were worthless things. Now I'm not saying we do the same as as I talked about before but the point here is that Paul is telling the people that the gods they worshipped promised fulfilment promised good things but they leave them empty. He's in effect saying how's it going living under the beliefs that you hold? How are your beliefs profiting you? And these are questions that I think we can ask and listen to. Oh, thanks, Kay. <laughs> Love that sound. <clears throat> if it's clear that the gods people are worshipping or the, the masters that they are sacrificing to... Um, and chasing after is leaving them empty and unfulfilled and, and anxious I think that's when we can point them to Jesus Jesus is the only one who gives more than he takes he will satisfy us when we live for him if we fail him he will forgive us For we, he keeps us in a place of forgiveness and he restores us his love for us does not depend on how well we do in our career or how much money we have or how popular we are with other people. <clears throat> Paul comes to these, these pagans in Lystra and he finds something in their own beliefs, belief system and he starts with that and he talks to it. I see you're worshipping these other gods. 
How's that going for you? I can tell you about someone who won't leave you empty. He doesn't beat people over the head with the law. He doesn't condemn them. <clears throat> Even though he obviously believes that um, that applies to them. The law and the repentance and sacrifice and receiving Jesus applies to them. So that's the second point. Being familiar with the beliefs of the people and being able to connect, reach into the other person's belief system and connect with something there. And that's what I completely missed talking with that lady I was telling you about before. <clears throat> so, don't worry if you muck it up the first few times. The third thing is enduring the hardship and not giving up. The people of Elijah need to work on their gratitude, don't they? But Paul comes in, heals this guy, and then he ends up getting stoned and dragged outside the city. It's a heck of a way to say thanks, isn't it? No wonder he says in verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It definitely doesn't mean that we can earn salvation by suffering. And that if we suffer well, we'll earn some kind of brownie points and God will be pleased with us and allow us to enter his presence. That would contradict everything else that Paul wrote. What he's saying is that we don't grow into Christ-likeness without hardship. And all of us know that, don't we? Life can really beat you about sometimes. The truth is that all the things in the long run that make us a peaceful or joyful person, able to be the same person in different situations, they all come from some basic things. Humility, reliance on God, experiencing close spiritual intimacy with God where we learn to feed our hearts on his presence, the ability to let go of the way we want life to be and accept the way life is. These things only come through suffering. There was a time in my life where I felt I was bashing my head against the wall time and time and time again. And eventually I got so sore and so beat up that I said, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. I should try something different. <clears throat> and that's when I crawled into God's embrace and I said, I'm done. You just look after me and, and I'm just going to stay here with you. <laughs> <clears throat> and that's where God wanted me. Just in his presence, enjoying his presence for who he is. <clears throat> These traits are not grown in us when we're comfortable and everything is peaches and cream. I've been reading a book uh, by Tim Keller where he quotes a cultural anthropologist saying that the worst culture in the world for equipping its people to handle hardship and suffering as our modern Western culture. It's the worst culture in the history of humankind to prepare us for suffering and hardship. Every other culture tells a story about how suffering uh, can get you to meaning. So, say for example, the ancient honour cultures. Honour was everything. Honour that you brought to your trial. And so if you suffered hardship, it was an opportunity to, to respond to that in honour, honourably. 
and there's there's stories of of um, especially some of the the Romans um, who would rather die than be defeated. So that's that's honour. That's an honour culture. Even the <clears throat> the idea of karma, <clears throat> which is I'd hate to live under that. But even karma says that suffering has a has can uh, give you meaning. But our modern secular culture says that the meaning of life is to be happy and free to be happy, to live the life that makes you happy. It's all about happy. Suffering can't be part of that story, can it? Suffering has no place in a life that has to be happy. We've got to run away from suffering, avoid suffering, get rid of suffering as quick as we can. Suffering has no place in a life that's supposed to be happy. Now, Christianity doesn't say that we have to suffer well, otherwise we won't get to heaven. But it does say that suffering will enable us to be like Jesus. And if we allow it to, it will drive us into intimacy and closeness with God that we would never thought possible. That was certainly my experience. And as we prepare to reach out to the Wiriora community, it would be naive to think that we won't get any pushback, that we won't experience any hardship. Hopefully it won't involve us being stoned and cast outside the city gates like Paul was. He's amazing, isn't he? I mean, if, <laughs> if I got stoned with rocks, not marijuana, and cast outside <laughs> the city gate, I'd be like, oh, sub... Time out. I'm out of here. I'll swap places, mate. This is too hard. But Paul, he gets up, gets back into it. What a legend. What what a... It wasn't even, like, bitterness. Well, oh God, why did you allow me to, to be stoned almost to death? I didn't complain at all. Incredible. There's something significant, very, very significant there, I think. I think we get infected by our culture, don't we? We think that God exists to make us happy. And yet, God, it's not, if you look at all throughout Scripture, that's not the case. There's no, no one who was happy all the time in Scripture. Right from Adam and Eve. So there's, there's something very, very significant there that we're missing. And it's good to explore these things, I think. <clears throat> But if we do get pushed back as we reach out to try and help people, let's remember Paul's example. A man called D.T. Niles once said, evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to find bread. Have you heard that one before? Why are all human beings likened to beggars? Because we're all spiritually hungry and we're all looking for something that satisfies our deepest longings. According to Tim Keller, the great J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, one of my, I love those books, wrote another essay called On Fairy Stories. Tolkien was fascinated by the similarities in fairy stories between different cultures. He concluded that human beings have four deep longings. We want to escape time and death. We want to communicate with non-human beings. 
We dream of finding a love that heals every pain in our hearts which we can never lose. And we long to see a complete conquest of good over evil. And if you think about fairy stories that uh, you've heard over the years, these things run through them. (coughs) But the bittersweet nature of this world is that these longings can be partially but never fully fulfilled. That's why love stories are so powerful, aren't they? Every now and again our hearts catch a glimpse of a dream, a whisper of something, and and we yearn for it. We think, oh, that would be so beautiful. I can still recall the phrase, and they lived happily ever after. And, and, and that's the way it should be, shouldn't it? It should be like that. But it's the same thing. It's not the way this life is. And yet we still long for it. We still think that that's the way life should be. Christians say that this deep longing, this whisper of something very beautiful that should be true and real but is always beyond our reach, It's evidence that this world is not all there is. This world is not as it should be. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. The good news, though, is that there's a place where all these longings will be fulfilled for every person who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. The Bible tells us that one day God will gather together all those who love him and we will live with him forever. In heaven, we will escape time and death. We will communicate with non-human beings, probably not elves, but definitely God and angels. We will be in the presence of a love that heals every pain in our hearts, which we will never lose. And we will see the complete conquest of good over evil. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's our faith. That's our hope. That's the good news that we can share with others. Who would not want that? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have kept for yourself a part of our hearts that only you can fill. Lord, help us to recognise that part when we are captured by dreams of things that should be but can never be in this life. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill that part of us more fully today help us to see where that part of our hearts points it points to you Lord Lord may we rest in your embrace today on this day of rest may we enjoy just being with you and lay aside our busyness and all our list of things that we have to do it's just Put that down today and rest with you and enjoy each other's company. Bless you, Lord, for this time. 
Bless you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can experience you right here, right now. A foretaste of the wonderful things that are to come for us. Bless this community of Woodyora, Lord. We pray that you would be moving in power at this very time, that you would be calling people to yourself. Lord, we want to bless this community in your name. We know that you want to bless this community. We want to be a part of what you're doing, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's finish with a couple of songs as we meditate on what we've heard.